0: Hello and welcome everyone. I am Jake Wurzak and this is Masters of Moments. This podcast features conversations with the top entrepreneurs and business leaders around hospitality, real estate, investing, and company building. We explore the ideas, strategies, and approaches that brought them to where they are today. Hear the insights, behind the scenes secrets, and methods you can't find anywhere else. This podcast is for you if you are a seasoned investor an upstart entrepreneur, or someone looking to break into the real estate and hospitality investing world. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Jay Wurzak on Twitter. And if you have enjoyed this show, I'd be incredibly grateful if you followed us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. We record on video so you can always find all of our episodes on YouTube and be sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for joining me and enjoy the show. My conversation today is with Arash Azarbarzan, CEO of Highgate Hotels. I've known Arash for many years, actually before he even started working with Barry Sternlicht at SH Group. It was amazing to work with him on a couple projects at SH Group and see him grow that company with Barry to be one of the leaders in five-star luxury hospitality now he is leading highgate one of the largest global hospitality brands and management companies they own hotels they invest in hotels they manage hotels throughout the country from limited service hotels to full service lifestyle hotels some of the best lifestyle brands we discuss the blank space that Arash sees in the industry and a potential brand that Highgate may be creating, how to create amazing F&B concepts in hotels and how important they are in the hospitality industry. We also go into the opportunities and challenges of running a global business today and what Arash has learned from some of the storied investors and leaders that he has had the opportunity to work with. Please enjoy my conversation today with Arash Azarbarzan. Arash, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on Masters of Moments. I appreciate you. We've been friends, been through the battle together, and it's awesome to have you.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Jake, and thank you for having me and uh, look forward to participating. So
0: I follow you on social and you're always traveling. So I thought a really cool place to start would be for you to tell us how you experience a hotel when you're traveling and what are the kinds of things that you're looking for when you walk into a hotel, whether it's one of your hotels or
1: someone else's hotel? It's funny, I was just talking about this yesterday. I had the pleasure of being in three cities, four cities in three days last week, uh, starting in LA, went to Chicago, went to Dallas and then to Miami. And the first thing I look at when I see or stay at a hotel, even if I'm not staying, if I'm just walking in, is the warm welcome. And you'd be surprised how many times I walk into a hotel with a suitcase at 11 o'clock at night, and the first response, the front desk person tells me, are you checking in? I'm like, no, I just came with my suitcase and at 11.30 at night to say hello to you. Yes, I'm checking in. It's so easy for someone to say, good evening, welcome. Uh, We're happy that you're staying with us. Assume that I'm staying with you. And if I'm not staying with you, we can go down another path. So that's really the first thing I look at is that warm welcome. Someone who really cares that I have chosen their hotel that I have arrived. By the way, as an operator, that doesn't cost a penny. And it's the least we could do to make people feel well. How was your journey? Was your flights uh, uneventful? Simple things like that. Uh, The second is really, I've done this before, I walk in a hotel and see if the staff are making eye contact with me and uh, greeting me or at least nodding or recognizing I'm there. And you'll be shocked how many hotels don't do that and how many hotels take a guest for granted. They become machines and they continue to do their jobs on the computer. I've been known to walk in front of a, a front desk three or four times back and forth to see if they actually will raise their head up above the computer and just say hello or recognize me at my hotels at other hotels. But for me, that warm welcome, that greeting, that recognition, welcome back if I'm coming back to a hotel means I set my stay for success and then already feel in a better place. And, and that's what we teach our team and our staff, that you're in the hospitality business and you need to be hospitable every step of the way, especially when you're making a first impression when a guest arrives at the hotel. How did you
0: get started in the hotel business and why did you choose hotel and hospitality
1: as your life's work? You know, people ask me that question often. I don't think I've ever, answered it on the record so i have to be careful what i say i always say that hospitality chose me Uh, i i wasn't wake up one day say hey i want to be in the hotel business you know my life dream was to be a pilot and my entire family back in iran were air force pilots and and that was my dream i always wanted to fly i always wanted to be uh, a pilot and fly in the skies When I came to the States, we we left Iran after the revolution and we were immigrants and political asylum seekers. And I studied computer science because I didn't know what else to study. And I got a part-time job working in a kitchen to pay, to make some pocket money. and, And that quickly became, my first job was washing dishes and washing pots. And then I became a prep cook. And then I became Restaurant sous chef, and I went to the Culinary Institute of America. And, you know, I graduated first in my class, not because I was super talented from an artistic point of view, because I was, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. After a while, I realized that to be a great chef, and by the way, I graduated CIA in 1989. Back then, celebrity chefs were not what they are today, right? We we still had to uh, work our butts off and and you know one restaurant at a time. It wasn't like there were not too many chefs back then that had 10, 15 locations like they do today. But I learned quickly that I'm not an artist. Uh, I'm not a creator. And to be a great chef, I had to be that. And I got an opportunity one night when the restaurant manager, general manager of the restaurant I worked at uh, got sick. I remember it was Thanksgiving The restaurant was Gina Rosa in in New Jersey, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. This is 1990. I'm dating myself. And the owner asked me to go and run the floor because we're busy. Your kitchen is set up fine. I'm like, I've never ran a floor before. It's like, well, Arash, in this business, perception is half the battle. So if the people think you know what you're doing, then they will follow you like okay i didn't even have a suit he sent me to the store to buy a suit and i ran the restaurant that night super successful and i never went back to the kitchen i just stayed in the front of the house and and began to love it i enjoy talking to people i enjoy sharing stories with people like we're sharing today and that started me on my hotel journey uh, hospitality journey i joined my first hotel that i joined was Four Seasons in Newport Beach, California. Two of my mentors, Medief Takari and Ray Jacoby, were running the hotel and and they gave me an opportunity to be a bar manager. I took a 60% pay cut to join Four Seasons, but it was an incredible experience, an incredible journey. They, they taught me what hospitality was all about. And at the time, in the 90s, Four Seasons was a small boutique luxury company great training ground, a great way to get uh, really the hospitality and, and quality of experience instilled in you. So that's how I started Hotel Business. I didn't seek it, it seeked me, I guess.
0: One of the most amazing things about the hospitality business, unlike other businesses, is that I find the most successful people started from the bottom up and work their way to the top. I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, Starwood Hotels hired like a Nike marketing brand guy to be their CEO. And I think a lot of owners and people in the industry felt like this person just didn't have the touch and the feel like a hospitality CEO should because they were focused on the brand and the other things. What what about your journey has shaped how you are as a leader and how you now are building brands, how you were building brands with SH Group and SBE and Proper. How has the starting from the bottom up and that just grinder mentality influenced you as you've risen to now run one of the largest companies in the world?
1: You know, it it definitely builds the bond between me and my team. Uh, the fact that I've been there, the fact that I have experienced what they have experienced and, and knowing that getting buy-in from the team is half the battle because I've worked in the enviro- I was there, you know, when Barry like left Starwood Hotels at the end of 2004, I left quickly after. Not because I worked for him directly at the time he was my boss's boss's boss, but I felt the company went from a cutting-edge hospitality company to more of a business. And you can run hospitality as a business, in my opinion. You have to run it as a way to connect with your guest. Of course, you have to make money. Of course, you have to have the bottom line. But if you don't connect with your team members, with your guests, and you're not hospitable, you're not gonna make it in the hospitality business. So I was there when that new CEO took over, and it wasn't Nike, it was Coca-Cola, but uh, it it changed the dynamic of the company. And by the way, uh, for whatever reason, his tenure was very, very short at the company. When I join, when I meet a team for the first time, when I go to a hotel, I do town halls all the time, Every city I go to, I try to have a town hall. I bring the managers, line staff. We sit in the room, we talk. I talk about my history, background, my expectation. I hear them out, what their challenges are, tell them about the trends in the industry. But I always open it up that, guys, I'm your CEO. I'm not a banker. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a private equity guy. I'm a hospitality guy. I started like you did. I ran hotels, I ran kitchens. I wash dishes so I understand where your pain points are and I'm here to support it. So that that's the the journey I think is important for, for your team and you get a different level of commitment, different level of support when they feel that you have experienced what they have experienced. And if you're introducing a new initiative into the into the world or into a hotel having the, their buy-in and having them know that I know their challenges and we try to meet them before they happen gives them a lot more comfort to get out of their comfort zone.
0: You've led organizations of various sizes. So when you talk about hospitality first, business second, what are some of the key elements that separate I guess, the hospitality characters from the real hospitality business people that somehow figured out how to do
1: both really well? I don't know if, I, I think I understand the, the, the question. I, I think for me to be successful at whatever level starts with having a successful, happy team. So I, I always work on surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me, people who love what they do and take very good care of them and and that goes from every level of the organization because i know with happy team members you will have happy guests and with happy guests you will have return guests and you'll make the money it's the you know it's the chain that harvard uh, business school published back in Early 2000, right? It's the people chain. Starts with your employees, to the guests, to the money. So for me, at any size of an organization, I'll make sure that I have the resources that I need. I have a team that is fully committed to the mission. And I let them do their jobs. I'm there to support them. I'm there to provide commentary when, when needed. I provide them the tools that they need. And I don't get in their way. And that has been really my success at whatever level, whatever size, is to have people who know what they're doing, love what they're doing, do it well, and and let them do it, let them do their jobs. It's really, really hard to find people in the hospitality business.
0: And in my dealings with you, I've experienced that you've been able to attract some very impressive talent and it's not just because of pay or a, uh, a flashy hotel. What are the things that you're doing to kind of make sure someone comes to work for you as opposed to taking a job somewhere else? Why do they want to work for you versus someone else?
1: Yeah, I, I think it, it, it really starts with your reputation in the marketplace. And at our business, as big as it is, is pretty small and people talk about you. And, and you'd be surprised how many referrals I get from GMs that worked with me before, that enjoyed working you know, in, in our ecosystem, that want their friends to come and work for us. So how do you find the right talent? It really starts with having a, a connection with them and understanding and, and setting up a clear expectation for them of what is going to be successful. When I do interviews, you know, I, I, first part of my interview is not diving into the details and knowing what they know and how they operate a business. First part of the interview is really explaining what the job is going to entail and explaining to them that, hey, you're setting yourself up for su- success or for failure. This is what I need from this role. This is not a glamorous role, or this is a glamorous role, or this is what you're up against in this role. These are the challenges I'm having. Because the individual I'm meeting with is usually the best judge to see if they're gonna be successful or not. So I start my process by really outlining what the job is. If it's a GM role, by the way, Jake, to this day, I still meet with every single GM that joins our company. No GM joins our company without not having a final say without me having a final expectation call. By the time they get to me, they've gone through six or seven different interviews. And for me to understand if they are fit with our culture, if they're a fit with our organization. Does that have to be in person or is it remote sometimes? I mean, on the most important roles, uh, some of our higher profile assets, you know, we do dinner, we spend time together. But I you know if I'm talking about a select service hotel or a hotel that is not as important to the ecosystem, I I'll, I can do a Zoom like we're having right now and I spend as much time, sometimes it's 20 minutes and they've gotten me sold in 20 minutes, sometimes it's two hours. So it, it, it all depends. You know, we call our GM CEOs of their business and and we let the GMs run their businesses, a company of our size uh, and magnitude. You cannot micromanage every step of the way. So that that is a really important part of the ecosystem It's making sure that you have a connection with the GM. And then to finish up your earlier question is providing an opportunity for everyone to grow at whatever level they're in you know, from a GM to a vice president, from a vice president to senior vice president. It's showing them the roadmap that they can be successful in. You know, building a career for them instead of a job. So those are the reasons why I have been successful in the past and my current life is hiring, but more importantly, retaining talent. You know, I've been here at Highgate just under two years. We probably have had at least 30 GMs that have been promoted to either area managing directors or vice presidents. We've had uh, half a dozen vice presidents promoted to senior vice presidents. We've had senior vice president promoted to executive vice president. We always look within before we go outside. So that gives comfort to the team that they're here, they're looked after and they're building a career. And and that's to me is, is very, very powerful.
0: How many hotels do you oversee right now in the portfolio? Give
1: or take 520. Yeah, it's it it's massive, but I have an incredible team, Jake, and and I don't oversee 520 people. I oversee really six super powerful, incredible operators, and these six people each have, you know, a portfolio under them. So it's not it's a manageable bite, right? So, if you break down our company, we have about 120 legacy hotels. We call them legacy. These are full-service luxury lifestyle hotels. You know, from the Newberry in Boston to, to the Joseph in Nashville to other hotels that are, you know, Hyatts and Westons and Sheratons and Marriotts. We have about 70 hotels that are part of our InVentures portfolio these are all third party managed hotels that we manage for for REITs for families for individuals it's a really a boutique select service management company they have their offices in seattle there's a you know coo in charge of that portfolio that does a beautiful job and then the rest of the portfolio is select service hotels you know from Highest would be probably AC, Hyatt houses, Hilton's and Hyatt's and Courtyards and Hampton's and all the way to La Quinta's. And those are managed by a completely a separate team. So we try to, you know, have each one of those business leads lead their business and for us to support them. You know, we have our accounting team headquartered in Dallas. We have a chief financial officer and. Uh, chief accounting officer. And so there's a, it's a absolutely a, an, a structure that works well where people know what they're doing and, and I don't become a bottleneck because that's where some of the organizations that are not as effective is when you have CEOs that slow down the process instead of speeding up the process. So there's
0: no way you could be looking at individual hotel P&Ls, budgets, those sorts of things. What are the, like the guardrail items that come up to your level? And I guess what I'm really asking is actually, what weekly and monthly meetings are you having to get a pulse on the business? And where do you find that you're spending the majority of your time?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we we do have an incredible FPNA financial planning and a, a and we also have an incredible business intelligence group. I get dashboards on a daily basis. We have begun to use artificial intelligence into these dashboards based on my needs. So it it outlines to me, hey, these are the 10 hotels that need your attention. So I will dive into those 10 P&Ls with the EVPs involved, and I will dive in to the matrix that is kind of faulty from a labor perspective. Is, is the labor trends wrong? Is the revenue trends wrong? So we look at trends. In a, on a monthly basis, Jack, I probably review 30 P&Ls in full detail. And these are mainly our legacy hotels. But I brush probably about 110 p We do here, when I get the P&Ls uh, reports from the properties I have formatted now in a way that everybody formats it the same way, so it's a standard format, and they know exactly what I look at. So if I look at top line is up and the flow through is not good, guess what? I'm going to be looking at that piano, and if I see the top line is up, flow through is above optimal, and and everything is looking awesome, you know, I'll send a note. They say thank you, and I continue to the next one. So. It's not like we don't spend time and energy on hotels that are successful, but we we spend more time and energy to make all our hotels successful.
0: So you've been at companies all different sizes, some very small and some as large as you are now, which is just so impressive. My company, we operate 10 hotels, we own 17 hotels. And Right now, I just can't afford on the P&L to have a business intelligence unit to do some of the things that you're doing, but I do have a certain touch and feel that maybe you can't have in a bigger company. Is there an optimal size or scale having been at all these companies that you think is the best model?
1: Hey, uh, Jake, uh, you're never too small or too big. To have a business intelligence, in my opinion, I mean, I've spent time with you. I, I have seen you on the floor. I've seen you dealing with investors, clients, customers, and your time is much better spent, you know, touching gas, touching associates than you know sitting down and reading PLs. So even a company of your size having can be one person. That will put these dashboards together for you. In the beginning, it can be manual. I don't care what accounting system you use. You can download these into Excels, and they can put it into buckets, and cr- create this you know sheet for you that you can wake up in the morning and know exactly where your hotels are. It's something to be you know something to be proud of, and something that's going to make you more effective on where you're going to spend your time. If, if one of your hotels is behind and you feel that it's not performing at that level, you're going to spend more time with them. By the way, these dashboards are not just the PNL. We have introduced a guest loyalty matrix into these dashboards. So they draw from all different customer dashboards from Google Analytics and, and what the people are rating you to TripAdvisor to OTAs. If it's a branded hotel, it will get the Medallia dashboards from Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, and you'd be surprised how employee and guest satisfaction correlate with with profitability. You know, one thing that I have to say that makes my life as easy as possible here at Highgate is really our revenue management team. I am spending more time is making the hotels more profitable. Of course, we all work on getting top line up, but we have such an incredible revenue team led by Ankur Randev, who's been with the company for 20 years he's an absolute genius you know has two people that many people but two people that really support him on the legacy side Gopu and and Kerry i mean these guys live and breathe you should see the reports that are available you should see how detailed their thinking is and how methodical they are so if you get the top line there, which is fantastic, that's two-thirds of the battle, in my opinion. We always, you know, being old school, you know, you're not old school guy. You know, I'm an old school guy. I'm uh, almost 60. You, you see that uh, top line will cure all your all your problems, right? So if the top line is there, you know, my job really is to make the the operation as efficient as possible to make sure we get to the right bottom line.
0: Revenue management wasn't a new thing for you, but obviously coming into Highgate, it seems like these people are just rock stars. What most surprised you about what they were doing or certain insights or techniques that they were using that just blew you away that you
1: weren't as familiar with previously? I'm not gonna give you all my secret sauces or your your listeners all the secret sauces. But really, the big differentiator between Highgate and the rest is taking advantage of the tools and, and coming up with proprietary tools that are out there that people forget. I mean, we, you know, w- when you look at a star report, when I was looking at a star report before I joined Highgate, maybe I was taking advantage of a third of its capabilities and abilities. We dissect, we know our comp set better than they know themselves. We know their rates better than know themselves. We really uh, uh, methodically analyze a market and, and price accordingly. We have incredible relationship with all our partners and all different distribution channels. And there's not a distribution channel that we're not a part of. We're not too proud or we're not, too small or too big for any channel so really that's the big difference between Highgate is one they're great thinkers uh, they're not robots they're great thinkers but they also take advantage of all the tools that are available that is available to all of us but you know I wasn't using before
0: prior to Highgate your recent experience was with companies that had independent hotels, so they weren't part of Hilton and Marriott. And we debate this in our investments all the time. Do you go independent? Do you do a soft brand? Do you just do a branded hotel? Now, kind of sitting here in this global landscape, you're probably going to give me an answer of, well, it depends on the specific asset, but is there an argument to be made into the future that Either the brands are going to go away or the brands are going to get bigger market share. Where do you see that swinging? It depends on
1: the specific hotel. Just kidding. (laughs) I told you, I knew, see, I knew you were going to answer that way. Uh, No. You taught me something. (laughs) No, candidly speaking, you know, um, when I was at SH and worked closely with Barry and we created, you know, he created one hotels I helped execute on his vision, you know, that brand, it's become so in touch with its customer that I've never seen loyalty like that. You know, I've been gone for a couple of years, so I don't have access to the numbers. But at one point, you know, we had 70% direct business coming to the hotel through the brand channels. Seventy percent. And and this is not an international uh, brand and this is a uh, not one we have ads and papers or on planes. You know, it was we spend zero on advertising, zero. Not one ad was ever bought. not one billboard was ever bought. but we built a connection with the guest, and the guests would stay with you before they stay somewhere else because they knew that what is important to them is important to you and And for Barry, it was sustainability, it was being green, is giving back to mother Earth so. I don't recommend Barry ever going with a brand because he's created his own. They have loyalty now and what have you. But when I look at our ecosystem today, we probably have 20 fully independent hotels. And again, depending on the size, depending on the location, we do partner with soft brands. I think we have two hotels with leading, we have 20 hotels with preferred that help uh, the distribution of the hotel, not really help set the DNA, but help with the distribution. So, I don't think brands will ever go away. Their loyalty is super strong. I mean, you've you've seen them. These point hoarders love the fact that they can, you know, travel for business and have enough for their personal vacations. Uh, the brands are becoming more and more in in tune with the customer you know, and creating new brands, you know, when you look at the Marriott ecosystem between luxury collection, between tribute, between autograph, between all these different brands, you know, now Hyatt's got Unbound and, you know, so you, you got all these. You're
0: like a brand expert now. Three years ago, you didn't even know these names.
1: Well, I, I, you're you're an expert I, now. You're I, in it. I, I have to be right. There. You know, I, I go to all the conferences. IFG was last week and Hyatt was 2 weeks ago and Marriott was 3 months ago and and Hilton had a small gathering in Las Vegas with 4000 people which was which was great. So I I learn from all these you know and and we are our partners. We sit on advisory boards with them. You know, that's what I love about the brands and how they have evolved is they're listening. And then they're taking, you know, notice of their operators and their owners because we do own a vast majority of our hotels as well. We're just owners and operators, right? So it is important for them to become our partner and to learn from each other.
0: So when you were at SBE proper SH, you were so integral in starting and incubating not one brand, but in some cases, multiple brands. Now that you're leading Highgate with a sizable balance sheet, access to an existing portfolio, are you working on creating some of your own brands within Highgate?
1: Yes, I mean, Highgate has some great brands already. I mean, we, we created a Knickerbocker Hotel in New York. We created Park Lane Hotel in New York, the West House, the Newberry, which is you know one of the great hotel. It's a great hotel, you know. Uh, we we have created many many brands uh, already. You know, the question is, do we make a a brand that's multi-city, a multi-location, and that's something that we debate on a regular basis. I think there's a value proposition to do so, but uh, don't be surprised if we did can't spill all the beans but you know me better than that i'm i'm a brand guy and i've been involved and learned from some of the some of the biggest so something that might be coming mr worzac
0: okay so then like i don't know maybe take me down a little dream lane if you were to create your own brand what segment or what positioning do you think is most interesting right now you know is it a Baccarat competitor at the highest level? Is it something to eat Soho House's lunch? What what market segment and maybe peer group do you think is most interesting for disruption or a
1: new entrant? Yeah, I think you know I will take the, the super luxury brands out of the equation. I mean, there's such great brands already there, established history you got the four seasons you got the mandarins you got the peninsulas you got the newcomers like aman and six and six senses you have the bakra that's growing so i would put that out of the realm of possibilities because you know to you know we have the newberry by the way i'll put it up against any of them and there might be hundred percent there might be four or five newberries but i don't see newberry becoming you know a 200 hotel brand right if there's a the right opportunity in the right city i think a newberry in london will do beautifully i think a newberry in san francisco will do great but i don't think that has the legs to grow because the competitive landscape is so strong and 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 so rich in history and, and really risk aversion. And then you go one layer down, you know, that's where, you know, you have the editions of the world, the one hotels of the world, the pendries of the world, which I'm so proud of the Montage team. That hotel company is on fire. You know, every time I read an article, there's a new Pendry going somewhere. And I think they found How do you think they're doing it? You know, you got the DNA of Montage, which is one of the best operational uh companies. You got Leadership that has been there, done that, and Alan Firstman, you know, started Montage and and worked at the Phoenician, you know, huge veteran of the business. So you get the energy and fun of a Pendry with the DNA and surface culture of a Montage. So it's like a win-win. You don't have to spend as much. I should be a spokesperson for for Pendry and Montage. No, I have a yeah, lot. You
0: guys are big enough. You could just buy them now.
1: So. I don't think so. The the company really is you know the firstmans are are the DNA of that company and and you know that's why nobody has bought them yet because I think they're so in you know those two are you know Alan it
0: makes it so special they make it's it the it's the personal touch and the
1: energy that they're putting into it it's rarely I go to a hotel like hey Alan I'm going here yeah I'll be there too I mean they're they're all over they're they touch they feel and that's why they've become successful so. There there are great hotels in that ecosystem, you know, Accor is doing trying to do the same with Delano. They're making a big push on Delano and and you know, SLS is I would put it in that. And then Ennismore's got some great assets in that level. Then you go one tier below that. And that to me is the white space that nobody has really done a great job. You know, Ace was doing phenomenal in that space, right? Are fortu- unfortunately, for whatever reason, ACE is deteriorating now, and you know, they're losing hotels more than they're gaining hotels. But I think you know, that's the market that is ripe for picking, right? That's the market. So in that space, what are the key characteristics that you would need to fill that gap? You know, I, I think every hotel that I would do or any brand that we would create would require an incredible food and beverage offering. I think that's what, if you, the first ACE you know, that I went to was the one in New York City. And, you know, they had two great restaurants, they had this lobby bar that you couldn't find a seat no matter what time you went. It was a sense of so- society, it was a sense of really belonging. They helped rebuild the entire nomad. Neighborhood. I mean, you you're not old enough to remember Mr. Warzac, but Nomad was you know all these garment stores and and really shady. And you go down Broadway past Thirty Fourth Street, like you didn't want to be there at night. It was all boarded up, not a single store open, not a single restaurant open. And you know, Ace was the one who really put it on the map. You know, so I I think what would make a hotel like Ace special is not too fussy. Don't give the guests what they don't want. You know, really tailor the hotel towards what is needed in that market, in that place. So you know, be local-centric, understand the neighborhood, build a hotel, design a hotel that you're there. I remember, you know, when Ritz-Carlton first opened and and Horst, Really changed the world of luxury hospitality. And I, you know, he's a friend and I give him a lot of credit. But in the beginning, you could go to Kapalua or you can go to New York and they looked exactly the same. It was the Ritz, you know, the restaurant, the same chairs, the same artwork, the same, you know, blue glasses or the green glasses, blue glasses. But now Ritz's are different everywhere, right? So that's what I would think that it has to be local centric, it has to embrace the neighborhood you're in, it has to really produce a reason to exist. You know, when you open a hotel, why do you deserve to exist? What is your point of differentiation? What are you bringing to the community? Are you helping the community? I mean, hotel restaurants are great. And if you're staying in a city for three nights, if I get you to come and eat in my restaurant for one night, I would be blessed. But I want you to go experience the city the other two nights and sell the destination to the guests and have you have such a great time that you would come back to that destination. So I'm big in hotels being a part of the destination uh, and not just capturing guests and never letting them leave. So that's what I think the The missing part is the white spaces, you know, select service hotels like there's new brands coming all the time, extended stay hotels. Like every conference I go, there's a new extended stay brand, which there's a need in the market for it. But I'm not going to compete with those hotels. But if I would build the brand, I would build it in that space.
0: So let me see if I got this. So there's going to be great design because that's got to be key. There has to be a warm welcome, which you said earlier doesn't cost much to do it, but you have to train and set the hospitality culture and the tone. And you can forget about spa and 24 hour room service as long as we have the warm welcome. And then it seems like the other key component is some badass food and beverage. So, in this brand that you're doing, and we've been involved in, you know, like One West Hollywood. We had internal food and beverage that you and your team run, and there was third-party food and beverage. And in many cases, I actually thought sometimes at that time, the in-house, your team's food and beverage was actually better than the third party that was there at the time. So what do you do? Do you do the food and beverage in-house, or do you do like what Ace did and you kind of lease it out or you come up with a... Management structure or something else. What 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 do you do? Yeah,
1: every hotel is different. Was getting. I had to do that to you, but I, I, I love it. I, it's but that yeah, is true. Every hotel yeah, is different. Yeah, I, I have learned through my experience and I've done this a lot. As you mentioned, my SBE days. You know, we were the disruptor of the industry where we did all the FMB ourselves, and and we were happy to say we were one of the only hotel companies at the time that don't lease anything out, don't bring a third party in, everything is run by us. The circle of the guest experience is fully within the control of us, right? In my experience, leasing restaurants that open into a hotel is a mistake because you have misalignment of interest. If I'm leasing a restaurant, I wanna make the most money, pay the rent, of course, but I'm here to make money as a restaurateur, right? I'm not here to make your hotel look good. I'm not here to bring your ADR up. I'm not here to do packages together. So bringing third-party partners, I'm a big supporter of that, but I wouldn't lease in the restaurant. I would bring them in. I would get their buy-in on the concept. I would motivate and inspire them by not having their fees so much loaded on the top line, but put in, a bottom line mechanism when you make more money, I make more money, vice versa. I will incent them to sell rooms and and really you know, give them even some upside on our room profitability because I think you want the partner to be fully aligned with you and the success of the hotel. And uh, uh, the best restaurants, I can't imagine a restaurant in a hotel doing more than $20 million a year, right? And and your profit out of that, if you're lucky, is million and a half, right? Net net profit. But if you do a hotel that does twenty million dollars in revenue, your net profit out of that, uh, net net net, is at least ten. So you know, after real estate taxes and insurance, you know, hopefully more. So that's where you know the restaurant needs to elevate the hotel, needs to elevate the guest experience. You know, you need to make sure that if it's a guest who had a bad experience in the hotel, that F&B guys are gonna take super special care of them, vice versa. If you have a group customer coming in for a site inspection, that the restaurant will go out of their way to make him feel special and show them what the experience for the group guests will be. So that that to me, F&B, I did another interview uh, Jake, and, you know, name me one hotel in the world that is something and and world-class without an F&B offer. Name me one. It doesn't exist. If it does, it might be some mountaintop resort, but they still serve you a beautiful tea like you've never had before, right? So F&B is such a big part of our ecosystem and, and such an important finishing touch to a hotel and if you lease it out and lose control of that ecosystem there's an imbalance in the ecosystem that you need to fix
0: so breaking it down do you think it looks more like a consulting arrangement or a management agreement or i'm just making up words and it's more about
1: the specifics Uh, again it depends on the ecosystem of the hotel. And, and honestly, sometimes consulting is better if you're in a union environment because you wanna manage the union labor a bit better. A management agreement with you know lower base fee and higher incentive fee is usually uh, the best way to go. If you can convince an operator to take less up the top and more of the bottom, that's gonna be a secret to your success. And who
0: are some of the best restaurant operators throughout the world that you've seen that have been
1: able to grow a global brand and operate within a hotel environment? I mean, there are many. I mean, the again, this is not an advertising, but you know, Michael Mina and I have been friends for a long time and I've seen him you know specialize in hotel restaurants. It's funny because he has freestanding restaurants out there, but I would say a vast majority of what he does he does within a hotel because some restaurateurs don't understand the hotel ecosystem the purchasing the you know what it means uh, that your occupancy is going up and down what your capture ratio is or how to serve breakfast i mean that's just a lot of restaurateurs are like we don't want to serve breakfast They're like no but you have to serve breakfast that's you know the meal that you capture the most out of you know we have a great relationship major food group they do a phenomenal job for us at the Newberry in boston that restaurant will do more than 20 million dollars in revenue this year really yes sir yes sir wow and it's the most successful restaurant yeah i would say the hardest reservation in the city of boston we have worked with the tao group and and as big as they are they do a phenomenal job and Again, no one, Jason, are in the business every day. And that what makes the difference. You know, Mr. Zalesnik's in his business every day. I mean, he he's dining at one of his restaurants, I promise you, every night of the week. And you can't just remote control. Michael Mina travels the world and is in his restaurant. So if you oh, and the other one, Jose Andreas, God, I can't believe I almost forgot him. He is a, a legend. And you know, when we first did the bazaar together in LA, and we all thought he had lost his marbles. And what do you mean you want to do a restaurant with like sixty items on the menu and, and three different rooms and three different concepts? And guess what? It was the most successful restaurant in LA, the most successful opening, four stars, restaurant of the future. So it helped build SLS as a brand. You know, we helped build Uh, Chef Andreas as a, you know, international chef. I mean, he's done so much more since that opening, but we both helped each other create that credibility for our brands. So there's too many to name, but, you know, we have uh, Noble 33 and Tosh doing a couple of uh, restaurants with us at Highgate. Love them. They did a bunch of restaurants with us when I was at SH Group. And they're, again, another group that get, what the customer wants and deliver on that instead of what they think the customer wants. That's the magic change over there. So the Friday night before my wedding, we did it at Bazaar
0: at the SLS. And one of the most amazing things was for an event, they made the same quality food as in the restaurant. And it's very unique to find any hotel or anyone that can actually do that on, a larger scale with like buffets. And it it was, it was impressive. So Sam's one of the only people that I can know that really was successful. Maybe Ian Schrager, I guess, would be another one, like coming from a nightlife background and then moving into hotels. What would surprise people most about some of the
1: things you learned working with him and, and building those brands? You know, Sam is a brilliant guy and he is a thinker Uh, and most people think that he is not, but he is. He thinks all the time. And I used to, what I learned most about him is no idea is stupid, let's look at it. Because me coming from the structure of Starwood Hotels and the Four Seasons Hotels, we thought everything was in a box. And he made me and realize, uh, realize that there is a lot of more can come from outside-the-box thinking. You know, he would call me, you know, in the middle of the night, I have this idea, I want to do this, this, and that. I'm like, Sam, you're crazy, that will never work. So he will hang up on me, and then he will ask me again. Then uh, a month went on, and he pulled me into his office and said, hey, man, you know, listen, man, I love you, and you're doing a great job. But if you keep shooting down my ideas, we're not going to go far. At least, can you say, "Let me think about it, Sam. Let me run some numbers." And you know, I did, and like two thirds of those ideas made a lot of sense, and and it helps us differentiate and and create beautiful things. One third that didn't make sense, we both agreed that maybe we'll put that on the in the back burner. But it was about thinking and constantly evolving, you know. What I've learned from my experience with some of these incredible leaders like Barry and Sam and Brad Kors and now Mahmoud Kimji and Mehdi Kimji is never accept what you have today as success. Always strive to be better every day. Never take mediocrity, you know, never get into the, you know, uh, into a a grind or, or this is the norm always you know disturb the norm and create something more you know with with barry we whenever we reached a peak and we did something incredible you know before we were at the top you know you're going up with the flag you're almost there you're like yes we finally got here let me put this in as you're putting in he's like well what about that mountain you know which is another further up so you know he always Made us be on our toes because, you know, no accomplishment is enough. And that's if you want to be successful in the world of hospitality or any business, is never ce- celebrate your successes, but never enjoy them too much. Always go for another success behind the one you just had.
0: So we should talk about your time at SH Group because you did. So much there. And during your time, the brand grew incredibly. What are some of the things that you learned in your experiences with Barry? We just talked about one, but I'm talking, I want to talk about the design side too, because those hotels are known for sustainability, but the design is so good and the connection that they create with people is so good but the service is also there so what what
1: did you learn being with him yeah barry is is a beast you know i I gotta tell you i don't think anyone i consider myself to work very hard and and work every day but i don't think nobody i don't know anybody that works as hard as barry and you've heard this before because you work with him jake on a few projects i have never seen anyone that the left brain and the right brain are so aligned and at that level. By the way, believe it or not, working with Mahmoud, I'm, I'm getting that sense as well. I mean, he is super analytical. He knows every number. He doesn't forget a number. But he's also big on design, and 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 he'll send me uh, images and pictures of things he has seen that he loves. He's big on staying on trends. But this was Barry. You know, Barry told me one day. I do what I do and I'm successful at it and it allows me from time to time to do what I want to do. And design is what he wants to do. He enjoys it. It's like having a break from the monotony of of running a multi-billion dollar, billion, billion, billion dollar company is sitting down for an hour and looking at chairs and looking at, you know, different plant varietals and he knows them all and he knows what works in the sun and works in the shade and you know he will walk into a hotel and your your trees are sick you got to give them so and so i'm like how do you know that like you can talk about the derivatives of the indonesian industry and then and this next sentence he can tell me that you know this grass is overwatered, and you got to put it on a drip system i'm like okay barry and guess what he's right so it's those type of visionaries that will help drive brands and drive companies, because everyone that works for SH, I hope everyone that works for Highgate, you know, doesn't consider this a job. It considers this a mission, and and we are an a mission. Uh, we are in a mission to change the landscape of hospitality. You know, we will touch more guests than Barry will because we have more hotels, but we want to make an impactful difference. You know, of course I learned sustainability from Barry and and how big it is and how easy it is to do. It's not rocket science to be able to deliver on a on a promise and and keep it and and make a promise and keep it. I mean, you know, from energy saving to trash to recycling to single use plastic to things that, you know, before joining SH, I thought, you know, couldn't be done. That can easily be done. So, those are the things that that uh, Barry instilled in me, and, and Mahmood continues to do, and we try to instill into our team.
0: Yeah, I don't think anyone would go through the pleasure and pain of hospitality if they didn't have that creative side. You are just such a big time executor, and you get stuff done. How do you? figure out your priorities and how do you
1: make sure that stuff gets done you know i'm a big believer that if you want to be in this business and you want to lead a small medium large organization you gotta love it you gotta love the challenge you gotta love opportunities that come up because they do come up on a daily i wouldn't say daily on a weekly basis there's some fire that comes out when you run a company this size. And if those things worry you or those things bring you down, then you're in the wrong business. You know, I always say opportunities find you sometimes, you know, where I spend my time is where I need. There is a need for me to spend my time and with the right reports and with the right analysis, those opportunities find me but you got to love what you do you got to hire the uh, an incredible team and nourish them and reward them and thank them and appreciate them because without a team no one can be successful you know you you have 17 hotels and you know it's all about the team i know you can't be in 17 places at the same time so when it comes to getting stuff done it's about letting your people do their job supporting them you know, following up with them. You know, you asked me a question earlier, like there, there are folks on my team that I have weekly calls with. There are folks in my team that I have monthly calls with. There's folks on my team, I don't have any set calls. I pick up the phone and call them if I need something. If they need something, they call me. It's really managing your people the way they need and want to be managed. It's really understanding your team's Personality: Are they thinkers? Are they doers? Are they, you know, are they the ones that want to be seen? Are they the ones who don't want to be seen? You know, how do you adjust your style to suit the people that work for you? You know, we do this enneagram thing all the time, and we don't want to put people in buckets. But you'd be shocked how good that is. You know, when someone is a six, they're a six. They're not going to change. They might pretend like they're not, but they're they're the warriors, they're the ones who worry for you. and you know, you need them in your system. and then you have the ones and then you have the sevens and you have the fives. And I really, you know, one of the first things I do when I go into an organization, I don't want to try to stereotype, but it, it helps me understand the team better because you will take you six months and you'll get it, but you've missed six months of productivity understanding who they are if you don't do it soon enough but it's really managing the team the way they are. Don't try to create different versions of yourself. You know, Embrace who they are and, and challenge them and support them.
0: Now that you have a portfolio with some owned assets where you're in control of and managed assets, in what ways are you trying to grow now? Are you looking at acquiring management companies? Are you trying to invest in assets and continuing to grow the business that way? Are you just going and getting third-party deals and blowing that out? What are you doing?
1: Yeah, it's a it's combination of all the above. You know, the, the reason why I'm thankfully successful here is we have a team, we have an acquisition team that looks at every possible opportunity on a regular basis, thoughtful, methodical, and, and not buying just to buy. We have a third party management team that all they do is answer RFPs, talk to people like you and says, Hey, you know, we think we can do better. This is why our revenue management can add X, our operation can add Y, our buying power, you know, how much we buy. I mean, with 500 hotels, like we have some of the best contracts outside of the big brands for, for purchasing. By the way, we we work with HSM and and we do get the Hilton pricing on many things that we do because we added our portfolio there. So it's it's really where the opportunity is, and never get, you know, into uh, never become a deal junkie and do a deal just to do a deal. The teams will pull me in if they're looking and getting serious about an opportunity. From an operational standpoint, what my take is on it, you know, we go visit properties. But what Highgate historically has been successful in is doing complicated deals that other people are afraid of. There is no deal that's too big or too small for us. You know, Mahmood and Mehdi and Zach and Rich and the rest of our principals have gone through, you know, thick and thin, you know, in. April of 2020, they bought, I think, 230 hotels from Colony. I wasn't with them yet, and I thought they had gone nuts. I thought, absolutely, Mahmoud has lost. Who buys 230 select service hotels in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, Guess what? It it was a home run for, for us. It was a home run for the Highgate family. We bought 130 La Quintas March of last year. And again, like everybody wanted it, but we want it because we think of the world differently you know we're not you know not risk takers just to be risk takers but we know how to mitigate risk better than most because we're not only investors we're operators as well and we look at the world uh, from from a bunch of different lenses where some of these buyers don't operate a thing they asset manage a lot, but they don't operate a thing. You, you're the same, you asset manage some properties, you operate some properties, you work for a third party, so you see the world there. But think about you times you know, 50, how many people we have at our company that look at uh, deals on a regular basis.
0: Have you been looking at acquiring any brands that you think you could just light on fire because of your infrastructure? Because there's a lot of companies out there that get to like four or five hotels and maybe they have a cool angle, they have a cool strategy, but they just don't have the scale. They're not profitable, they're not making money, but you could add some
1: fuel to that fire. We just did, right? We just bought the Viceroy brand. Yep, And so tell us about that. You know, we we didn't buy it. Highgate didn't buy Viceroy, just to be clear. The principles of Highgate but Viceroy, and we're keeping Viceroy outside of the Highgate ecosystem. It will have its own leadership, it will have its own operational team. If we can help back office, accounting, whatever, we will support that, and we will provide the tools for that brand to grow. And Viceroy is a great example of a brand that was on fire Went through some difficult times with no fault of their own. You know, they had a partner that went nuts, and it took really four or five years to unwind. You know, uh, the billion-dollar whale. So that brand was ripe for picking uh, because it has such an incredible DNA, such an incredible loyal following. And you know, with our help and our support and our resources, more than anything else. We think we can grow that brand and make it one of the you know premier brands, uh, but we don't want to bring it into the high ecosystem because we don't want to screw it up either. There's a reason why those boutique brands are successful because they think quickly, they adapt quickly, they move quickly, and 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 once we bring them into our bigger ecosystem, they might not be as nimble as relevant as they need to be. So that's one brand that we're super excited about that. You know, we are we hired uh, Yoav Gary, Yoav um, Gary as a chief development officer. Yoav is a veteran of our business, and I don't think Viceroy has ever had a chief development officer. So he's out there looking at deals, looking at partnerships. You know, we have the wherewithal to you know buy our own Viceroy's if we wanted to. We have can manage with can manage third party, or we can partner. We can do all of the above where you know, Bill Walsh, who kept the brand alive for 10 years and and pulled it through the most difficult time, didn't have that uh, luxury of being able to invest, you know, and bring capital to the table where we can.
0: The hotel world is so small. That was a brand that was originally started from Brad Corson, who you've also worked with in the past. And it just all comes full circle. So where do hotel investors and operators typically go wrong? What are the mistakes that you've seen most often happen at a big level? I'm not talking about it at a Hampton Inn. I'm talking about at some of these
1: sizable investments. Where do people go wrong? Stop uh, convincing yourself that the numbers make sense when they don't. Numbers don't lie. I think the biggest mistakes that I've seen people make is make an underwriting justify a price instead of the price being justified by the right underwriting. It's easy to put on the paper 120% penetration on rate without having the data. And guess what? This hotel works beautifully. It's a, it's a seven cap, but you know, people sometimes fool themselves and overpay for an asset and then get they stuck in trying to make the asset work. So at the end of the day, it's super important that you are methodical you're thoughtful about doing your homework and diligence in an investment that makes sense build the cushion in there you know we, we we did we do it every day here and we did it uh, at with capital too we you know we had a you know we had a chart that went through sensitivities what happens if your numbers go down by 10% what happens if you know there's an adjustment in the market so you know really going to that a sensitivity exercise to better understand, you know, when things are good, everything is good. All investments are good. What happens if there is a market adjustment? What happens if the a COVID happens? Do you have enough ammunition to keep the asset? Do you have enough capital to make it last through a adjustment cycle? So the biggest mistake people make, they fall in love with a deal and letting the mean justify the end instead of the other way around. And Know, fooling themselves and coming up with some underwriting that doesn't make any sense and will never make any sense but it makes enough sense for the the lender to give you the money and and buy the hotel right
0: and then they call a rush and say that you have to figure out how
1: to get me out of this hole and fix yeah, it for fix me it,
0: fix it sometimes it's not fixable
1: yeah it happens more than more than more more people think but usually institutional companies like ourselves like you you know, we we have gone through this rodeo before. We just don't need to buy a hotel to buy it. But sometimes newcomers to the hotel business will believe in operators numbers or will believe the third parties and don't do their own homework to really understand the market demand drivers and, and how we can get there. So at Highgate,
0: I want to know what you guys are seeing right now in terms of the forecast, because you have such a broad portfolio and how that might be influencing your decision around investments, whether it's single assets, you just brought Viceroy. So clearly you must have conviction on a long-term basis, but how is that influencing what you're
1: doing in the next two years? You know, from an investment portfolio, you know, nothing is influencing us today we will do the right deal in any market, you know, and we'll do it for the right reason. That is not going to slow us down. Actually, we look forward to a a few more bad months and, and we can buy more. But if I look at the ecosystem today, you know, in my opinion, I'm no economist, but I have visibility. There will be a landing. God willing, it will be as soft as possible. Uh, next tour, Two or three months. The summer months is going to be challenging from what I see. Not awful, but challenging. The sugar rush is over in some of the resort market. The monies are really getting, the savings that people had for vacations are are getting used up. People are worried a little bit about the stock market and interest rates, or they're not spending like they did post-COVID. So, you know, the numbers are a little bit softer on the leisure side. But what we have seen is a huge group production, huge group pickup. We have seen transient, business transient coming back, which is unheard of. We hadn't seen that in forever, but there are definitely uh, good indicators that the third and fourth quarters are looking promising. Our advanced booking for hotels who have advanced booking has been positive. So overall, you know, we, we feel good about uh, what the industry is bringing. So I asked all the guests on the show
0: the same question, and out of every hotel in the world, everywhere you've been, what
1: is your favorite hotel? You know, I have three kids, Jake. I can't can't pick uh, one of my kids, but I have to tell you, I have a new favorite hotel. And again, you can say I'm promoting my own, but I just stayed at the Viceroy Hotel, Sugar Beach in St. Lucia. And if you haven't been there, it's heaven on earth, incredible service, incredible hospitality, but not just made for the romantics. That's what I love about the hotel. They're kid-friendly, teen-friendly, adult-friendly, older-friendly, and it's just such a beautiful place to visit, you know, uh, nestled between two pitons and and beautiful waters and 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 an incredible incredible i was i was only there for four nights i wish i was there for 14 and i can't believe it flew by so fast but i was charged when i left so i love a hotel that will charge my batteries especially the resort destination but even in the urban destination you know we travel we work so hard we don't want to deal with the things that are easily fixed you know I went to an all-inclusive resort, I'm not going to name where, for a conference, and I got there. There was a butler welcoming me, amenities, this, that, like, you know, I'm a VIP. I have my own butler. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so glad to be here. Can you get me a margarita? Like, oh, no, we can't get you a margarita. I'm like, what do you mean you can't? I'm in Mexico. I want a margarita. Anyways, Jake, I, I appreciate you. I thank you for... For giving me this opportunity you are a legend yourself and i look forward to seeing you and break bread with you soon sir i love it thank you for coming on hey everyone it's jake here
0: thanks again for joining me on this conversation be sure to subscribe on apple podcast spotify or youtube lastly don't forget to follow me on twitter at jay i'll see you in the next episode Jake
1: Worzak is the founder and CEO of Dove Hill Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Jake and his guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Dove Hill Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not reflect or represent real estate, financial or investment advice.